this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. It's a funny thing, isn't it? How when you try to force a schedule onto something, it falls apart and you end up just struggling to maintain it. Then when you let go of it, it suddenly becomes easy. I mean, I'm I'm at this point right now where this is what I do on this day because it's something I look forward to. I'm taking these notes, and instead of feeling like I'm rushing to produce something, I'm taking notes about things that I want to talk about. That's pretty pretty novel, (laughs) It's not novel at all. I'm pretty sure that's what most podcasters feel. At least I hope they do. Well, I guess maybe maybe it's uh, pushing it to say most podcasters, considering most podcasters give up. They quit. They burn out. So I guess what I'm saying is most of the people that stick around, that must be how they feel. They must look forward to it. Not to say that I never looked forward to this, but I'm going phases. I'm in one of those phases right now, but I feel like I feel like you and me were on the right wavelength here. <laughs> and you know, another thing about it is I I don't know if I was consciously doing this before, but I think uh, it's a common problem as well. You tend to maybe take yourself too seriously when you get into making things and putting them out especially on a regular basis, which is not to say that you you think that what you're saying is important, but what I'm more getting at is that you feel like you have to, if you're going to say something, you have to make sure that it's something important. You have to almost like prove to yourself that it's, it's worthwhile for you to talk. Or sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, Anybody that's listened to radio shows like Coast to Coast AM, which have been going for decades and decades, and they're on every night for four or five hours, sometimes it's just background. It's just company. It's nothing serious. And that's okay. And I think I'm in that place right now where I realize that anybody that's listening, they're listening. I don't know why they're listening, to be honest. They have many different reasons to be listening. And uh, I don't need to determine that. So I can let go of that. I have to have something important to say. 
I always, I feel like there's something I feel is important. I want to say, otherwise I wouldn't be articulating it, but I mean, trying to judge what other people would deem as important. Let go of that. We're going to talk a little bit more in a bit about trying to judge what other people want. But before they do that, before they, who's they? Apparently, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> Let me drink some of this tea and get, get myself centered. Before we talk about that, I want to give you a couple couple updates. Let's, let's start off with a little CPAP update. We talked about this last week. We talked about it in the anxiety episode. I had the CPAP dialed in. It's still not dialed in perfectly. I'm still waking up every hour, which still gives me a lot of, it screws with my body a lot. You know, I get these weird skipping heartbeat sensations and stuff still, though more fleeting. So it's, it's, it's definitely an improvement, but it's not where it needs to be yet. And then last night, I don't know, I was, I was kind of like uh, trying to take an, an early nap, you know, just like squeeze in like 20 minutes. And I put on the CPAP and because it wasn't really bedtime, I was kind of more conscious than I would be. And I noticed myself actually going through the process of choking, you know, on when your throat collapses. And I'm not sure why it clicked for me, but I decided, you know, when I go to bed tonight, I'm going to prop myself up on two pillows. So I did that last night and I propped myself up on two pillows. It was a little uncomfortable. I'm not used to that, but it helped. I woke up only every two hours. Sometimes even a little bit more. I think I made it like two and a half hours at one point. My sweet spot, obviously eight is the dream, but my sweet spot, if I could get through the night and at least get one chunk over three hours, you know, somewhere between three and four hours, then I'll be happy because I'm worried about that deep level of sleep, that deep level of REM that you get once you get past three hours. I'm worried about the fact that I haven't got that for a while. So if I can get into that zone, I'll be happy. So knowing that the pillows help, I'm obviously going to continue with that. But because the pillows are a little uncomfortable, I did a little research today and I ordered myself a wedge pillow. So it's basically a triangle. And the reason you want the triangle is because it's the slope is long. So you can actually have it go down along your spine and your spine is supported. Whereas when you're propped up on two pillows, you know, you're just kind of like your head's up there, part of your neck's up there. And then there's this cliff. <laughs> the rest of your body is kind of like hanging down to your hips, you know, where your hips are in contact with the mattress. So that part in the middle that's not really supported, yeah, not so good for the back. So I'm going to try this wedge pillow thing out. Ordered it, it's coming tomorrow, so next time we talk, I'll be able to tell you about the wonders, hopefully, hopefully. I don't know why I did air quotes there. What I wanted to do was cross my fingers. <laughs> hopefully, I'll have good things to say about the wedge pillow. But it feels nice to be just a little bit more rested, even though I'm still tired and still a little jittery. You know, you get jittery when you have that lack of sleep. It feels nice. A couple other things. You know, last week I had mentioned I had this idea, but, you know, I wasn't in a rush to do it. And this idea was to present my questions. And I thought, you know, maybe I could do that on the newsletter because it's Substack, so it also functions as a blog and they have these open thread things so people could have threaded conversations about the answers. After maybe, I don't know, maybe four days, 
not even, maybe like two or three days, that idea slowly started to develop, which before I even tell you what it developed into, is one of the reasons it's really nice to not always rush to do something when it pops in your head. Sometimes it needs, you know, it's like, sometimes it's like an egg and needs to sit under the butt for a while before it hatches. Otherwise, it's just goo. You know, it doesn't make itself into a chicken yet. So after a couple days, I made a second Twitter account specifically for this podcast for questions, for people to ask me questions. The reason I did that is because I didn't want it to get anything people said, send me. I didn't want it to get messed up with anything from my personal Twitter account. And I, it just felt like it's an easy thing to do. Go here. The only thing you're going to see there is links to the episodes when they publish and a place where you can ask questions. Keep it simple. Keep it straightforward. Well, after doing that, I realized what a perfect place to take the questions I have. Why do complicated thing like make it a blog and all of this? Why can't I just put those questions out on Twitter? So the Twitter account is Ask It Pod, A S K I T P O D. And if you guys want to follow that or you want to send questions to that, you don't have to follow it to do that. It's there. If you follow it or you check it out, you'll see as I slowly start to post my questions, which maybe you have answers to. The only question I've posted so far is how do I deal with chin splints? Same thing I asked you guys last week. Still waiting for advice on that one. <laughs> Another thing that I did, I took, I had, you know, I had a website and I don't really, I wasn't really using it extensively. And it started to strike me that most people that are looking for something, they're just looking for links. And for the most part, that website, there was like a blog section. The majority of that menu on that website was just linking out to other places, which is cool if people are on a desktop, but it's not exactly perfect for mobile. What I wanted is something more like what a lot of us see on Instagram now, Linktree. So I went and I made a page specifically of just links to make things simple. So when I get to the end of episodes, I don't have to say, if you want this, go here. If you want this, go here. Just anything that I mention that's my links, whether it is a social media link, there's a link to send a voicemail, there's a link to ask podcast questions via Twitter, there's a link to the newsletter, there's a link to the Patreon so you can become a patron, there's a link to this podcast, they're all there. You don't have to scroll, they're all in one place, and it's all at it matters, but it doesn't.com. That's it. And it feels so good. Let's go, you know, go back to the anxiety thing. Remember in that anxiety episode two episodes ago, I talked about just kind of tightening up these little loose things, these little dangling things around, and how it just relieves a little bit, just takes a little bit of weight off. And that's that's one of those great examples. Is this, this complexity, I think in all honesty, it's a complexity based on based on my dog shaking his collar in the middle of me recording. It's a complexity based on the internet paradigm of like 10 years ago where everybody had a website and this is how websites function. And unless you're doing a lot of stuff on a website, do you really need a website? No, you don't. All you need is a place with one link where you can put all the links. So that's what I did. Those are some of the things <laughs> that I wanted to mention. So I said that I wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea of uh, trying to guess what people want. This is something... Obviously, anybody that's putting out content, 
they struggle with this. Or I shouldn't say that everybody struggles with this. Everybody that struggles with this are people that are putting out content because they're thinking about, am I doing the right thing? Am I, you know, am I wasting my time? There's a lot of questions. There's a huge pitfall in there that took me a while to really figure this one out. And I know some other people took them a while to figure this one out as well. So I thought I'd share it and we could we could all think about it a little bit. The best way to say it, I'll just say it as a statement. Do not confuse your friends and your family with your audience. Let me say that again without a burp. Do not confuse your friends and your family with your audience. What I mean by that is we'll use let's just stick to podcasting to keep things simple. When you first started putting start putting out a podcast, you have no audience. You have nobody because nobody knows what you do. They've never heard of you. They've never seen what you do, theoretically, unless you're you're coming from something else. You know, if you're a comedian, then you're going to bring your, your audience from comedy. I'm talking about somebody that's starting from zero, period. So you come into podcasting, you don't have an audience for anything else, but you want to do podcasting, you have no audience. The first people that you're going to be able to get to listen to the show are people that know you. They're going to do it because they care about you and because you ask them. It's that simple. Maybe there's a little guilt involved. Who knows? And that's fine. But they're not your audience. They can be, but they're not. And what I mean by that is just because people care about you doesn't mean that they're interested in what you create. And that's I think that's really difficult for some people to understand. So... Let me put it to you this way. Almost everyone we know in America has someone in their family that they care about whose politics they do not like. You still like the person and you just, well, obviously you you wish that they would change their, their mind, but on a more simple level, you just wish that they wouldn't talk about politics. Don't bring it up, right? That same principle applies to other things but maybe not so much from a negative sense. For example, Random Badassery, the show that I used to do with Lamb Wen. Lamb likes golf. I hate golf. <laughs> There's nothing more to it than that. So if Lamb is, for some reason, decided he was going to make a podcast or something about golf, he has an Instagram about golf, I don't follow it. Not because I don't like him, but because I don't like golf. It's it's simply not in my interest. Let me put this another way. You may decide you're going to make a film. And you sit down to make a film and you go, okay, who's my biggest inspiration? Because we all want to emulate somebody when we begin. Who am I going to emulate? Whose style is going to influence me? And maybe the first person you think of is Ingmar Bergman. You like the pacing of his films. You like the black and white. You like the moodiness. Yeah, I'm going to make a movie influenced by Ingmar Bergman. So you go and you make a short film. And in a way, it's your homage to Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. And then you show it to a friend. Your friend doesn't like it. Your friend thinks it's slow. Your friend thinks that you could punch it up and you could, maybe you should have done it in color. Now, 
what's going on here is you have to obviously go through a phase here and figure this out. But what's going on in this particular case that I'm talking about is the person doesn't like Ingmar Bergman. So your friend who doesn't like Ingmar Bergman is not going to like your film because it is like Ingmar Bergman. Doesn't mean they don't like you. It means they don't like Ingmar Bergman. But this is where the confusion gets difficult. Oftentimes, we assume that this friend who watched our movie is our audience. So our friend says, make your cuts faster, use different music, shoot it in color. And you take all those things under advisement and you make all of those changes because you assume this person is your audience and now you're making a film for this person. But the problem is they weren't your audience. Your audience is people who like Ingmar Bergman films. So now you've made something that isn't what you wanted to make, and you're spending your time, and you will continue to do this if you stay down that path, you will continue to make things to please an audience that is not your audience, because they're your friends and your family. You start a tech podcast, and you talk about Apple. Well, you have some friends who are adamantly against Apple. They're all, they're Android all the way, Google all the way. They're not going to like your show. They're not going to listen to your show because they don't want to hear about Apple. They don't own Apple products. Maybe you have family who don't even understand technology. They don't even own a smartphone. They're not going to listen to your show because they have no idea what the hell you're talking about. But if you always assume that those people, because they're your friends and their family, and maybe they're listening because they care about you, are your audience, you're going to continually make choices against the better interest of what you're creating. And it becomes hard to figure that out with my newsletter. For years, the majority of my newsletter subscribers were friends and family. They weren't interested in what I was putting into my newsletters. So I continued to change the newsletter. With newsletters, you can get real, you don't even have to hear what the people think to make these decisions because you have click-through rates. How many links did people click? How, how many people opened this? Now you've got all these analytics. Oh man, whatever I'm doing is not working. So you do something different in the next one. And you're always trying to find the thing that works without ever considering that maybe all the people you have subscribed aren't your audience and that you should do what you think is right with the newsletter, the podcast, with the movie until the people who want what you're making find it. And then that is your actual audience. This is something Seth Godin talks about in his most recent book, The Practice. And he talks about it pretty much in, in every interview that I've heard in the last year with him. He says that authors shouldn't pay attention to the Amazon reviews. Because when you go on Amazon, you get a one-star or two-star review. What that person is saying what they're not saying is your book sucks. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is this book wasn't for me. It's not for them. If you pick up a book called Fish Head and you think it's going to be a book about the brewery, I think Dogfish Head's the name of the brewery. So Dogfish Head, you pick up a book called Dogfish Head and you think it's about the brewery and it's going to be about beer and making beer. And you find out that it's a fantasy story about a monster with a dogfish head, you're not going to like the book. 
not because the book sucks, but because it's not what you wanted. It's not for you. That's what the most of the one-star Amazon reviews are. If you actually read them, I thought this was this, but it's this. Oh, it's not for you. And I'm talking about books. Products are different. People are weird with their Amazon reviews with products. But when it comes to books, I thought this was going to be a true crime book, but this is a memoir. Yeah, it's a memoir. If you don't want to read a memoir, then yeah, you don't like the book. So when you're putting stuff out, you have to be very careful, especially in the initial phases, but this can carry on for a while, to make sure that the audience that's influencing your choices, you know, the one that you're using as feedback to make sure that you're connecting, you got to make sure that those are the people that actually want the thing that you want to make. Because advice, yes, it's good to have feedback and advice. You just have to understand that you're getting advice and feedback from the right people. You don't want to get to a place where you're not accepting any feedback. But in the case of like the Ingmar Bergman film, if somebody who loves Ingmar Bergman watches the movie and goes, you know what? Your use of shadows here could be a little bit more like this, and you would nail the Bergman thing a little better. That's good advice to take on hand because you are trying to emulate Bergman, and this person is giving you advice on how to be more like Bergman. So they're they're helping you along the path of the place that you want to get to. Whereas somebody's telling you you should have shot, shot it in color, they're trying to make it into a Marvel film, or they're trying to make it into a Woody Allen film. But you're trying to make Ingmar Bergman. Okay, Woody Allen's a bad example because... Woody Allen was highly influenced by Ingmar Bergman. But you get my point. It's important not to confuse those two things. And it happens all the time. What I've been doing for the last year is after 10 non-opens by somebody on my newsletter, I just automatically unsubscribe them. I just remove them. Because what I assume is that they're staying subscribed out of politeness. And 10, that's a lot. You know, I don't exactly send out Every week. So that could be a, a 10 could be a very long time. And if they haven't opened in that time, they're, they're not interested or I'm going to spam and there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I mentioned earlier, a large chunk of podcasters, really, they just quit. I think that's why. Because number one, they're not patient enough to wait to find their actual audience, the person or the people who are interested in, in what they want to make. The person, like, you're right up my alley. Yeah, that little cliche, that's what you're looking for. They're not patient enough to wait for that, and they get discouraged. So say you know when you start, you have 30 listeners. And because you're logical, you know that those are all your family and your friends. Well, when that 30 starts whittling down to 20 or to 15, yeah, you get discouraged. Why? Because even my friends and family won't listen. But that's not what's going on. They listened to give you a nice boost and to support you, but what you're making is not what they're interested in. But you start to take that personally, you start to get angry, maybe, or you just start to get sad. I'm wasting my time. It takes a long time to develop an audience. There's a lot of podcasts out there about podcasting. If you listen to enough of them, they all kind of converge on one idea that they all share. It takes about three years to build an audience, to build your true audience. Some people get lucky, they do it faster. But for the most part, the point is, it takes time. 
And it takes time because people have to find you. You know, think about your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, your Instagram feed, your TikTok feed. Think of all these things. How many things you're seeing, your email even, you're seeing every day. That's stuff that you've already opened the door for. That's stuff that you're already saying, come on in. And think about the fact that you don't even go through 100% of that, that you just go through a small percentage of that. You allow the algorithms to help you. Email, sometimes you just throw some in the trash. Sometimes you just let them sit there for months and then throw them away. You're not going through 100% of that. So how many new things are you seeking out? How many new things are you discovering when you're already full? That's what you're competing against. People already have more than they can deal with. And you have to wait for people to find you because you have to wait for them to have the space to need to look and then hope that they actually find you and not somebody that's doing something similar to you. You're not the only filmmaker that's influenced by Ingmar Bergman. You are competing with Woody Allen. You're not the only podcaster talking about technology and Apple. You're not the only newsletter sending out things that you like. That's, I think that's why people also get caught up on gimmicks, right? But gimmicks aren't what sells something. That's a hard lesson to learn, too. I didn't even have that written down to think about. But we get caught up on the gimmick. Like, it's a podcast about true crime, but it's also a quiz show. Cool. But that's not what people, what makes people actually listen to things. The real reason people listen to things, real reason that people read things, the real reason people watch things is really so much of it's just chance. You take a podcast, go, that sounds interesting. You hit play. The reason you will continue listening is because you like what you hear. If you don't like what you hear, the premise means nothing. The gimmick means nothing. If the description of the movie sounds good and you start watching it and in 10 minutes you go, this sucks, you turn it off. doesn't move, mean the movie actually sucks. It just means it's not for you. If you buy a book or you pick up a book and you start reading it and it's not what you thought it was going to be, you put it down. You don't keep reading it because you liked the gimmick or the, pre- the premise. That's why it's important to stay true to your vision. Because your vision is the only thing that's going to get you through that. You know, like I say all the time, ask me questions if you have questions. I don't get questions very often. I put it out there because I like the idea of it. And one day, somebody will ask a question. And then another day, someone will ask a question. But if I judge whether to ask people to ask me questions based on whether I get them, I would just stop. I would give up on the idea. But I like the idea. So I keep doing it because I like the idea. Anybody that's had a Patreon account has gone through this experience. I like the idea of Patreon. I like the idea of supporting things that they listen to, the things that bring them value. And you put out a Patreon. You go, I have a Patreon, and nobody signs up. You can either just close the Patreon and go, I quit, or you can keep doing what you were going to do. And you can keep liking the idea of Patreon. And at the end of your episodes, you can keep telling people, become a patron. I'm doing work here. Sitting in front of this microphone takes up time. Editing takes time. Thinking about what I'm going to talk about takes time. And I'm doing it all for free. So if you're getting value out of it, I would appreciate if you gave me value back. And you can keep presenting that idea. Not because it's right, not because it's just, but because it's the way you see things. 
in a perfect world, this is the way things would work. Therefore, I'm going to function like this is a perfect world. In a perfect world, my show would be about this. Therefore, I'm going to continue to make my show about this, regardless of whether people show up every week. Take my example earlier. I like the idea of just talking every week, being a relationship-based creator, just creating a relationship with you guys, telling you things that are on my mind, things that I'm working through. I like that. I like that process. I enjoy this. I'm having fun right now. Do the numbers dip when I change and I and I start to get into the groove? Yeah, of course they do. Anybody like that signed up for this podcast back when I was, you know, like almost a year ago, oh man, more than a year ago, when I was doing further questions and I was going to do true crime and I was going to try to do some paranormal stuff. If they tuned into this episode, they'd be like, whoa, this is not what I wanted. Totally. You're right. And you're more than welcome to unsubscribe because I would feel the same as you. But this is what I want to make. Every once in a while, I might want to throw in a phone call with a friend. No one's told me they want that. I want that. I might want to talk about books that I'm rereading, movies I'm rewatching. No one's asked me for that. I want to do that. I'm steering my ship. Who climbs aboard? I don't know. But either way, my ship's going in the direction I want it to. And that's always a plus for me. And I think that you you can't be a creator and sane <laughs> if you don't feel that way and if you don't act that way. You know, the phrase that I used to hear when I was younger, thrown around a lot. I don't know if it still gets thrown around as much. But I knew a lot of punk rockers. And punk rockers used to like to talk about sellouts. And there were many, many different interpretations for people to decide when someone was a sellout. To me, there's only one way to define a sellout. It's when you sacrifice your principles. You sacrifice your principles and you do something that you don't like. You've sold out. You can decide to sell out. That's fine. It's not like a moral thing. Like, you know, for the punk rockers, it was always a moral thing, but it really isn't. If you're Whoopi Goldberg, you started out as a comedian, you get success in film, you become an actress, and then you get offered this talk show, The View. You decide, you know what? I'm not going to do comedy anymore. I'm not going to do movies anymore. I'm just going to do this show. Why? It's a regular paycheck. I'm at the age where I don't want to struggle with that other stuff anymore. I had success there. I'm done with that. I'm willing to sell out and do this. I'm not saying that That's what she's doing. Maybe she's always wanted to do a talk show. I don't know. But let's say that's what's going on. That's perfectly fine. That's her choice to make. That's completely her choice to make. But if you are still dedicated to your principles, then selling out would be to turn against the principles, turn against the vision that you have, to turn against the ship that you're steering. That's how I define selling out. And who knows, maybe I might be in a position one day where I want to do that. Maybe one day after podcasting about all this, for who knows how long, somebody offers me a radio show. Talk about something I don't really care about. Maybe golf. And who knows, I might be a 65-year-old man that goes, I will take that and I will take somebody else paying my health care and my so- <laughs> paying into my social security and my 401k. Actually, <laughs> 60s is a little late to pay into a 401k, but you get the point. Who knows? Okay, I did say I have one other topic. I don't want to go too deep into this because there's not really much to say about it, which is surprising to say when I tell you what it is. 
I think I saw my first UFO. Whoa. What? <laughs> right? What? Two things before we go any further. Number one, I want to remind you what UFO stands for. UFO stands for Unidentified Flying Object. In other words, I saw something in the sky. I don't know what it is. UFO does not mean alien. It could. It could mean ghost. It could mean bird with reflective feathers. It could mean misidentified plane. It could mean experimental aircraft. You don't know. You just saw something and it doesn't fit into the frame of reference that you have seen anything else. Therefore, it is unidentified. That's what I mean here. Second thing, I did grow up in a household that believed in extraterrestrials. And I, I absolutely believe in the idea that there are extraterrestrials in the universe. I don't know if they've come to Earth. Nobody knows that, to be honest. At least I don't think anybody knows. But I do believe that if space goes on for infinity and it's filled with planets, as they say in the movie Contact, it would be an awful waste of space if we were the only ones filling infinity. I think that's just vanity. Doesn't mean they're going to look like us or anything like that. Who knows? They could look like plungers. <laughs> or they could be, you know, just moss. But those two things out of the way. Let me tell you what I saw. Which, yeah, I don't even know if I, I mean, how to explain this. It wasn't anything flashy. It wasn't, oh, that's that's one thing I wanted to say first. I grew up in a house that believed in this stuff. So as a kid, I always wanted to see one. I always wanted to see something in the sky that I couldn't identify. I didn't necessarily, I'm sure at certain points I wanted it to be aliens because I was a kid, right? But I just wanted to see something that I couldn't explain. I wanted to feel that sense of wonder. That's really what I wanted. So I, I finally saw something. And compare that to what I what that kid thought he would see when he saw something he didn't explain. And it's so much more mundane, at least my experience, so much more mundane. This was a few nights ago. It's about, I don't know, it's late in the evening, so it's dark out. Take the dog for a walk. No, I didn't take the dog for a walk. I took the dog in the backyard to go to the bathroom. And when he goes out, I like to go out and I like to get out. We have a patio cover. I like to go out from under the patio cover and at least look at the sky. Lately, I've been looking at the moon a lot. I have a special relationship with the moon. I just, I love the moon. But the whole habit of going out and looking at the sky actually started about 10 years ago, when I realized that I've always been fascinated by space. I've been fascinated by the possibilities of what could be out there and frustrated that I'd never seen anything I couldn't explain. Well, how could you see something in the sky that you can't explain if you never actually look at the sky, right? So I said, well, I'll probably never see anything, but I might as well start looking at the sky I might as well start looking up. Well, I was right. I go out. It's dark. The sky is that blue-black because it was a... We just had that supermoon not too long ago. But the moon wasn't high. The moon was actually behind a tree, so I couldn't even see the moon. But you know that that blackness that gets a little blue because the moon's light? That's That's the color we're looking at. And there weren't any clouds. The atmosphere was super clear. And I live in San Jose, California, which is in the middle of Silicon Valley, which is a big city. It's a big city area. Therefore, we have a lot of lights. And because of lights from the city, 
you look up at the sky, you don't see as many stars as people do in more rural places. When they look up at the sky, they can see the bright stars and then they can see all the other ones, you know, all the little tiny ones. We just see the major ones for the most part. You know, you see the Big Dipper. You don't see the other stuff freckled around it. So I was looking up at the stars and realizing like, wow, I'm seeing a little bit more than I normally would. And I realized also this is strange is, but they're really crisp. Like they're really defined. And I thought that was strange because I've had a vision problem, minor, very minor vision problem since I was a kid. And basically when I see things far away, they're a little bit blurry, not too bad, but like most of the time when I look at the stars, they're a little bit blurry. So I was kind of amazed, like, wow, this is cool. My vision is is doing good tonight. And because of that, I was looking around maybe even more than I normally would, just kind of enjoying the fact that, like, oh, I can, that one is so crisp. I can see that one's red. I'm trying to figure out in my head. Maybe that's Mars. And as I'm doing this, there's a cluster of, like, three, almost triangular, but not really, I mean, I guess if you put three things close to each other, three dots close to each other, you're going to end up with a triangle no matter what, but not like an equilateral triangle. So I was looking and going, I wonder what constellation that's a part of. And as I'm doing this, I noticed the one on the top right is moving just ever so slightly. Two stars, that's a plane. So I'm watching it and I'm watching it and I'm going, that's weird though. It's not blinking like a plane does. I was looking to my right. I looked all the way across the sky to my left. And there was an actual plane about the same distance. And I was watching that plane. And yes, I could see the light was clearly blinking. So I go back and I'm like, no, that, that one is not blinking, but it is moving. And then I go back to the plane. And then I go back to this dot. And I'm going back and forth. I'm comparing the two. And I'm realizing that the plane is, in the time I've been doing this, the plane is half gone. It's almost out of my vision. This other one has only moved less than an inch. It's moving so slowly. And the other thing about it is, it's not moving in a straight line. I'm, I'm not sure how to describe this well, but when I say zigzag, you're going to think big. But imagine very minor zigzag. Have you ever, if you maybe, if you've ever watched a bee, the path of a bee, a bee doesn't necessarily fly straight. They have this wavering in their path. Like it's just a little jiggly. Like, you know, it's like trying to walk the line, but it's just a little drunk. That's what this thing is doing. And at first I thought, maybe that's just in my head. So I actually held up, I had a pencil with me and I actually held the pencil up. So I had a straight line and I watched it as it dipped in and out against the line of the pencil. Okay, that's not a trick of my eye. The thing is wavering. And now the other, the plane, the one that was clearly pain, it's gone. It's gone. It's not in my vision at all. And this thing has only moved maybe two inches. And I'm noticing as it's going, the direction it's going to, it's not going across the sky like a plane, like the plane I'd just seen. It's going down the sky. It's going from higher to lower. And as it's going from higher to lower, it's slowly getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I watched it for about four, almost five minutes until it finally got dim enough that I couldn't see it anymore. Don't know what it was. Never seen anything like that before in my life. Maybe, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this, maybe it was a plane far, far off, and I've just never seen a plane do that. 
I don't know. It's possible. Totally possible. But I've never seen that before. And even if it was totally a plane, which I'm fine with, it was neat to have that moment of like, what the hell is that? (laughs) That moment that I've been waiting for my whole life, that just sense of wonder of like, that's not normal, is it? And it was super cool. I don't know. I don't know if hearing somebody talk about something like this is like hearing somebody tell you about their dream. Everybody says nobody wants to hear your dreams. I don't know if this is like this. But that's what I wanted to share. So thanks for listening again. Thanks for all of you that have stuck around. And uh, hopefully you're happy with this place. If not, don't feel bad about unsubscribing if this isn't the show that you thought that you signed up for. That's totally fine. But I will say this. If you've stuck around for this long, just out of politeness, if you're that kind of a nice person and you're going to subscribe now because I told you it's okay, (laughs) I let you off the hook, do me a favor. Just tell somebody that you think would be interested in this about the show. That's a fair trade, right? You can go to itmattersbutitdoesn't.com for all the links, everything, one place. You want to check out YouTube? There's a button there. You want to check out TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, even my Spotify. It's all there. You want the link for my Patreon so you can become a patron, which I would appreciate. Once again, if you want to reward the week that I, the weeks, you want to reward the work that I do every week, that's the best way to do it. And if you want to ask a question via Twitter, there's a link to that. You want to ask a question via the voicemail? Guess what? I made a button on there for that too. So you don't even need the link in the episode anymore. You can do that. I also have a book that I wrote back in, was it 2016, 2014? I don't even remember when I wrote the damn book. Book of poetry I wrote a long time ago. I put a link for that there too. So check it all out. Even just check out the the new little page. Once again, what I mentioned last week, little comments here and there. You might not think that what you're saying is a big deal, but just hearing from people that are listening, it's a big deal for me. That's one of the things that I really am appreciating about Patreon, because Patreon allows me to converse with people in a way that is a little more intimate, because the messaging system, they've improved so many things about Patreon in the last year or two. The messaging system in Patreon is actually, it's really nice for conversing with people that actually care enough to support the show. So I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying being able to have that with uh, those of you who are patrons. And to all of those of you who are already patrons, thank you. And until, I guess, next week, since I'm on a roll, until next time, bye guys. Love you.